You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and this episode is with STARS. I'm chatting specifically with their frontman, Torkel, who is an incredibly interesting person to chat with. We're talking about their most recent album, There Is No Love in Fluorescent Light, which is one of those albums that reminds you how much of a vital creative force a band could be, even after being together for over 10 years. It's a very interesting thing, too, because this album is probably, I mean, you never want to say that an album is a definitive version of what a band is, but this is probably as close as to Stars is ever going to get to being their definitive body of work. What's interesting, though, about this album is that it came through a lot of challenges, struggles, and strifes, and even the question of if another Stars album could even happen. So that's what we talk about, Torque and I. We talk about how this album came to be and just the near impossible journey it took just to make this happen. And yeah, you know, it's just kind of crazy to think that such a beautiful album came out of such struggle. But yeah, I'm looking forward to you uh, jumping into this talk. This is the 405 Exchange of Stars. Enjoy. So, do you remember what the first conversation was like when you all decided that there was going to be a new Stars record? Huh. I'm not sure that I do. I, I, I feel like very early on, and please stop me if you can't hear me at any point. Yeah, um, absolutely. I feel, I feel like very early on we had a conversation about Peter Cadis and about wanting to work with someone um and can you still hear me i'm outside now oh yeah i can hear you pretty well (laughs) awesome so we had a a conversation about wanting to work with someone we always have that conversation um which is maybe why i can't remember it because so much of making records again and again is like is repetition is like repeating the same (laughs) mistakes and the same smart things over and over again. Um, But we talked about wanting to get someone and we really, I think, badly needed that because uh, we didn't really know if we were going to do it again, I don't think. Um, We'd all gone to therapy together. Uh, Shit was a bit fucked up. So... I think we felt we really needed someone to come and help us um, get back into focus somehow. That's really, so. That, that was certainly a very early conversation. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't hear about that story when reading up on the album about how you guys uh, went to therapy together. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a limit to how, like, how much of a parody of yourself you can be. Like, you know. <laughs> Uh, we're like the Metallica with no money. It's like um, they could have, they could afford to bring someone on tour. We just had to go see a guy like in a you know in a strip mall a couple of times. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, it was quite. It's it's very on rock and roll, but it was also very. We're not just rock and roll anymore. We're a family, you know, and yeah. sometimes families get fucked up and and people stop communicating with each other and it really helped us. Um, and so we, we, 
you know, the the last record was made. <laughs> Our manager was really, really ill and we thought he might die. And so we made that record sort of in defiance of death. And this one we made after, you know, almost breaking up, I would say. So we're coming as close as we've ever come. Wow. So, uh, yeah, there's always something, isn't there? Yeah. Like, Life. Seriously. I, I love the, the candor, yeah. though, because I think what intrigues me about um, therapy so much, I mean, I've never done it, but I've, I've known so many people in my life who have done it, and I'm a big uh, proponent, like, believer in it. And I think what's intriguing is that it just opens you up to just how much people, cl- like, how normal it is to keep things inside as a human being. Like, I find that very intriguing. Yes. Yes, it is interesting, isn't it? That no matter how often that doesn't work for us, we keep doing it in, in hopes that, I guess it's it, it's a thing of ignoring the problem, hoping it will go away, right? Yeah, exactly. And also just, it, it's very, very scary to actually say how you feel sometimes, especially if your feelings are petty or, or you know you shouldn't be having them or you judge yourself for having them. I mean, I think that's a lot of what therapy helps is like, it gives you somebody in the room with no skin in the game who's just going to say, well, you know, that's not that abnormal to feel that way. Or, wow, that seems unusual to feel that way. And it, it, I think, especially in a group dynamic, we've been making art together for 18 years. You know, we've never, we've been incredibly blessed to make a living together, but we've never gotten rich off this. And we, we're, we're doing basically a middle class, lower middle class job, but it's also kind of this bizarre world of, trying to make art and be in a band and go on the road and you know so it's uh it can be complicated yeah it's very intriguing to me because i've been around musicians for the better part of like about eight or nine years and i think what's really amazing uh just being around musicians and getting to see the dynamics of how uh particular that lifestyle is it's like almost the type of thing where if you try to explain it to someone who's outside of that world it just it feels comical like when you try to think about all the little nuances and how everything just doesn't feel like it makes sense, but everything somehow comes together. Like it is a very specific type of life. It, it is. I mean, I think there's other professions that it bears a resemblance to. I mean, I, I would think that like going and working on an oil rig or something like that is, is sort of similar. Touring is sort of similar to that, that you're, you're isolated, you're, you're out in the world, but you're also totally isolated and, Everything is different every day, but it's complete routine. So it can be psychologically, I'm not complaining. There's beautiful things about tour. Yeah. You get to see the world. And, you know, I've seen so many beautiful things in the world that I would never have had the money to go and see myself and taken my family with me and played shows for people. And, like, you know, played shows in Jakarta. Like, who the hell knew that people listen to stars in Jakarta and in amazing that there they were you know yeah no that's it's also it's also a place where um you have to be incredibly disciplined to beat it like it's it's rules and it's it's necessities will drag you down you know and if you're young and you're stupid or even if you're not stupid but if you just started doing it it can be like a life-threatening place to be, you know? Um, you see what happened with uh, that 
young rapper, Lil Peep, you know, like that kid just, that's sad. That's really, really sad that, yeah. that tour got him that way, you know? It's, uh, somebody should have been taking better care of him. <clears throat> no, that's very true. It's just, yeah, it's a shame that had to happen. Yeah, rest in peace to little pit. Pe- pe- yeah, peep. like there should have been a there should have been a tour manager there who literally like went through the shit every day and said, you know, if you're not gonna be okay, then I'm I'm gonna fuck off and leave you here, you know. And maybe they did. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, yeah. it sounds like he was pretty deep. No, yeah. But, it does. Uh, yeah, that's that's a scary part. Even on a minor level of just like. I've eaten nothing but cheese and bread for 17 days or like <laughs> that's my seventh coffee or wow. I can't believe I've just watched 11 episodes of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. You know, <laughs> like it's just like your life drips away while you wait for the show and yeah. that, that can suck your soul a little bit. Yeah, it really does. You know, I want to jump into the record because it was a real pleasure. I think, yeah. uh, I mean like I've been familiar with your band for years and with this particular record, I felt like, it was the one where I was so aware of me living with it. Like I was so aware of its role within my day to day life. Yeah. Within like walking around and commuting. Beautiful. Yeah. And one of the things that stuck. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, you made it. I appreciate it. Um, You know, one of the things that stuck out (laughs) to me a lot of the record were, was that there were many times on the record where you'll sing words such as you, I, or me, and tell me, like, do you feel that these uh-huh. songs are, like, autobiographical? Or do you feel like they're in reference to characters? Like, who did you have in mind when you were writing this album? Uh, characters. You know, we've always had characters in our songs. Um, I guess at the risk of, you know, being called theatrical, which <clears throat> is somehow a dirty word. But, you know, uh, uh, to me is like, <laughs> I'm a theater person, so... To me, it's it's the only way I kind of understand narrative is through character. And I think Amy is similar in that respect. She took theater in university as well and has done some acting. And just in the way she sees the songs we write together, um, you know, we kind of invented these characters early on in our career and we've put them through the various stages of our life. Now, having said that, you know, they I think they often play surrogate for for one of us or both of us. Um, but, but the great thing about putting stuff into characters as opposed to saying, this is my confession to you, which is also a, you know, can, can produce beautiful art. But the, the thing I like about working with characters is that it can much more easily telescope out to being about anyone who's listening, you know, because I think, especially in matters of love, um, we're all aware of how cliched love is. Like we seem to all live the same story over and over and over again. And in fact, we kind of crave that story. We kind of go in search of it. So I wouldn't want to write a song about my love life, you know, that didn't, uh, that, that then sort of excluded somebody else's, you know? And I think we also intentionally tend to be nonspecific about, gender and about who's addressing who and about, you know, whether I'm singing the so-called female role or Amy's singing the so-called male role or, uh, you know, I, I, that also doesn't interest me that much, you know, that the, the binary of love is the same no matter who's experiencing it. And if you stick to that binary, people will really understand what you're talking about. 
That definitely makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, go, just jumping into the record a bit more, you know, when I heard the title for the first time, it really hit me in a way I didn't expect because I'm based in New York City. And um, it made me think about, mm-hmm. like, the title made me think about how often we find ourselves under artificial lights, whether it be, like, office spaces or yeah. restaurants, but, like, how fleeting intimacy could be. Yet there's moments of the record where you're, uh, you know, you pretty much are talking about intimacy, but... I felt like you hit a good stride at how fleeting that feeling could be under fluorescent lights. Yeah. Well, and obviously New York is a huge, huge source of inspiration for all of us, particularly me, though, I think, lyrically. Like, I lived there <clears throat> for 10 years when I was learning how to write songs and learning how to express myself that way. And and so New York is an obsession, you know? Like, once you've lived there, kind of, you're a New Yorker through things through that prism I think forever and yeah I mean, that's that's a great observation I was we were just playing in New York and I, I was on the subway which I just fucking still hate so much. <laughs> <laughs> I still have PTSD from how many thousands of hours I spent on the fucking L train uh, yeah. but you know I'm on the subway and it's just it's just rammed and you're just like right up against other people you know and some of them are sad and some of them look pretty happy and some, most of them just look blank, you know, but you're so close to them and everyone looks like shit under that light. And, <laughs> and you're just like, wow, man, we're being so patient here together. We're, we're, we're making so many choices not to see the worst in each other and not to freak out. But, but part of that is also, we're just cut off from one another. Like we're right next to each other and we might as well be in separate worlds, you know? And that's, that's a crazy aspect of life in the city. And what I think is like an obsession for stars, I guess what we tried to capture in that, in the people I think did beautifully in the, in the kind of blueness of it and the depth of the sound, the softness of the sound is that time when you leave work in a big city and you might be walking home and it's the sun is going down and you're not an employee anymore and you're not yet a person going home to someone or to no one. You're out in the city and the sun is going down and you could just disappear into that. Like that's when you are your most yourself. The possibility for you to be whatever you want exists for that 15 or 20 minutes. And I think that's a magical time and it's a, it's a time when a lot of people listen to music down the street with their headphones on. So I think we wanted to make a kind of private experience of a record, something as I, and you said, you know, you, it's in your life and it's great to hear because we wanted to make a record that I think could be sort of in your life as you experienced it in a quotidian way. That's really beautiful. I, I love that you talk about that specific moment because I think what's so poignant about it is that, like, I feel like for some people listening, it'll hit them just how significant that time is. Like, that specific time when you uh-huh. get out of work, it's like, oh, I don't, I'm not playing a role at this moment. That's right. You're just walking down the street. No one knows you and you don't know anyone. And you're going somewhere, but nobody knows where you're going. Yeah. You are untouchable in that moment. There's, there's to a me, beauty. That's what, that, that was what rock and roll did for me, riding the bus home from school or walking home from school or walking out at night when I was a young person or walking home drunk and high. (laughs) What music did for me was like 
give me that solitary world of like, I can be anything, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. My favorite song off the album is We Used to Call It Love. It's a truly amazing song. I would love to hear the story about it. Oh, man, that's my favorite Stars song, dude. No I'm way. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Your favorite Stars song is, of all that time. That is absolutely... I think so. Like, Elevator Love Letter and that one, I think I'm most proud of as, as songs that we've created. Just because it's... To me, it's like... It's the most Starsy song ever. And I just <laughs> like... We do that. Nobody else does that. That yeah. is something we do. And so, you know, that great quote, uh, Thelonious Monk said, the genius is he who is most like himself. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, think, I think we called it love is like us being most like ourselves, you know? Um, so I'm really glad you like that one. I love yeah. when, uh, when the vocal ends and that two-note guitar solo happens that Chris McCarron plays. I just think it's... It gets me every time, you know? It's like, yeah. that's a fucking cool song. It really is. Was it like a shock when it came together the way it did? I mean, like, what? you know what? So many people ask you about how a song comes together, but something I'm always fascinated by is, like, what does it feel like when a song's finished? Like, what was it like when you guys finished that song? Like, the feeling? Well, you know, Peter Cadis finished that song. That was, that was actually a song where it was very easy initially to write. It was a cool idea. But we, we repeated, we had a chorus. We used to call it something, we called it love, we called it love. And Peter was never really into the jam. He was like, ah, oh, it's a little, I'm not really feeling that drum machine thing. And he didn't really get it. And we recorded it the way we wrote it. And then Peter took it away. And this is the genius of somebody like Peter is like, he took it away and removed the whole chorus and he had taken out the refrain and I, you know, initially I'm like, I, I'm a total chicken shit. I'm always scared of change of anything. And I was like, no, I don't like it. I, you know, and Chris Seligman was like, actually, you know, I didn't like it at first, but now I've become sort of addicted to that song. And at, the more I listened to it, I was like, oh, that's the brilliance of having a great producer is uh, like, like a great therapist, someone who steps in with no skin in the game from an outside perspective and says to you, yeah, you don't need that. That is totally unnecessary. That's not working. You think it's working because it's like a mechanism that you rely on, but it's not working. You don't need it. Just rely on that. And the song suddenly like, there it was, there was the song, you know? And, and it's to me a much, it's a very similar kind of song in structure to your ex lover is dead in that there isn't a chorus really. There's two verses, there's an instrumental refrain and then there's this kind of idea at the end of like, you know, I don't believe people ever change, but I've changed, which was definitely like a fist pump moment. I gave myself a high five like definitely <laughs> when I wrote that, because when you can come up with really simple ideas like that, that, you know, people are going to be like, yeah, that's fucking totally how I feel. Yeah. And like everyone in my life just keeps, keeps doing the same shit and I keep trying different stuff and no one notices you know um, what I mean? Yeah. Like that, everyone feels that the only person in the world who's changing is them. I, I, that's and my favorite part I of the song. That specific a, part. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's a favorite part, you know? Yeah. And I, I look at pop in a very, in many respects, like it's a puzzle to me. I love murder mysteries and I love pop songs because they're puzzles, right? They're like Sudoku. You have one clue. And then you build around the clue and suddenly you have like a cathedral of logic, you know? But 
they're really made out of nothing. They're just made out of one clue that, that is absolutely undeniably a fact. And then from that, you can kind of put a bunch of shit around it that doesn't have to be true. What really intrigued me about what you just said is that um, it's like you, you, it harkens back to what you said at the beginning about like how um, uh, like making albums feels like repetition within contrast to the previous experience. Yeah. And it just kind of surprised yeah. me because each star's record sounds so different to me. I wonder, do they sound different to you when you listen to them back or when you're like performing a show and you're making oh, a set list? Yeah, they sound profoundly different. The shows are different. Like the songs live are like, um, it's like you have two, like you have a child and that child has a doppelganger and you love them equally, but they, they like, you never see them together. If that <laughs> makes any sense. Like once, once you start playing the songs live, you forget what they sounded like on record. You just completely forget it. It's like it never existed. So going back to the record is like, oh, holy shit, I can't believe that's what we thought the song was. That's so wild. But I would say that on this record, that, that is happening less. And to me, that's a sign that we achieved more closely in the studio what we should have gone for in the first place. You can really link like the records I really love that we've made as opposed to the records I'm not such a fan of that we've made by that, by like how close I feel they came to what it sounds like live. And um, this one really sounds a lot similar. So it, it's every, every record sounds different and we're always trying to do something different. But the, you, you make art by obstacles, like without obstacles, there's no conclusion. So ultimately you can dream of anything and that does influence it. That makes a difference, but it's what your limitations are that will define what ultimately gets made, you know? And that, that's, that's, uh, that's the fun part is pushing up against your limitations and seeing how far you can push those limitations. And, um, working with Peter after, after 18 years of pushing ourselves to those limits, we needed someone else to be like, yeah, you've kind of like set the wrong limits, you know, <laughs> like you guys don't really, you're not really seeing the woods for the trees anymore. I mean, we came to, the, to Peter with like 30 songs, um, 18 of which were like, oh my God, the world's burning down. Fuck Donald Trump. Holy shit. Everything's connected. I hate the internet. Yada, 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 you know? And he was like, yeah, no, we're not, not going to do that. <laughs> he was like, I like those songs about, you know, like, you know, that one where you're like, oh, you're so sad. That one that's so sad. Let's do that one. And he just kept doing that. He kept being like, yeah, let's do the really fucking sad one. And um, to be fair to him, that is kind of what we do well. And uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's difficult to make a great topical record. It's possible, but it ain't easy. And they don't age very well. So, you know. But it's, it, it goes. Be that as it may. Yeah. It goes back to what you were saying before, though. And I think that's kind of like the beautiful catharsis and the poignancy of the record in itself about like how that story and that myth of what love is. We're, we're always kind of chasing it, but at the same time, there's always new ways to tell it. And I mean, there's more things that this album is than love, but 
it's amazing just how relatable it is on a very lyrical level. Like, I find that very intriguing to me. Uh, it's lovely to hear, too. We, I think we're getting better at that. We're getting better at uh, saying what we mean. And, I mean, I, I you know, there's a, so- a song like Losing to You, like, that's, that's characters, but, like, that's happened to me. You know what I mean? That, that's, that wasn't... Um, that's not an easy song to sing. It's a beautiful song to sing, but it's not easy to say that out in public, yeah. you know, because that's hard shit between two people. That's the stuff that we don't tell our best friends about, you know, that's the stuff that like you go to work every day and you bury it because you, you, what's happening between you and the person you love is fucking terrifying you. You know, it's a free fall. And like, that's, I don't think we've really maybe gone to that place of simplicity quite before. Um, and, and maybe we won't again, you know, maybe we'll make a big plastic artificial record, who knows. But, but I think there's, uh, what I loved about working with Peter and what I, I'm grateful to Peter for forever is showing us again what we do, that we do really beautifully, you know. We have our little shop and we don't sell everything in there, but what we make is fucking beautiful. And if you like that, you come on in, we'll look after you, you know? And that's how he wanted us to be as a band. And, and I think that's what we've become. So that was a nice feeling. I, I love that you could say that. I like, cause I mean, just the fact that you feel I mean, uh, honestly, like I'm, I'm very appreciative of the candor so much. It's, it's nice talking to someone who not only uh, means what they say, but can clearly stand by them. I, it makes me wonder, like, how surprised do you think the stars of 2000 would be of the stars of today? Like, that must be such a contrast to even think about. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy, you know, because we didn't. I don't think there's a smell. Maybe the Rolling Stones or Coldplay or something. Maybe those guys really did believe they were going to be huge. And, and it happened so fast for bands like that, that maybe it was easy to, to buy that. But like, we literally, man, we're just like, if, if we can see our CD on a shelf at other music on fourth street, you know, like I'm going to fucking lose my shit. <laughs> like there was a zero, zero plan beyond like opening for the clientele at brownies that was like okay i can die now that's my that was my leading up my 27 years previous to that that's all i gave a shit about was like will i you know will i play a basement where and i did it so then it was everything after that was like are you fucking kidding me you know until of course you start to expect a career you start to feel that you are owed one, that you've put your time in, that you've given everything to it, that you've given 20 years of your life to it. And the industry doesn't give a fuck because the industry survives on the new, right? Um, yeah. The record labels, the press, everything survives on the new. I get that. That's what pop music is about. It's for the kids, you know? But um, that is... So it's hard to look back like we've cycled through so many worlds we never thought would occur. In a strange way, it feels like we're back at the beginning, you know, that we're just like, I'm just happy I'm talking to somebody about my record and and that 
I can still play shows, you know? That's sort of a miracle at this point. So I've kind of forgotten all the shit that was an actual miracle. Like I've, I literally just can't remember playing Lollapalooza with Broken Social Scene and with stars and like 50,000 people. I've, I can't remember. I know it happened, but who gives a shit, you know? Yeah. It happens. What's happening now is, uh, is the vital thing. And it's all I remember. So I'm going with it. <laughs> Man. Yeah. You know, before I let you go, I just want to, you know, I called, I called my daughter Ellington, right? That's my daughter's name. And oh, even if it? we'd had a son, it, her name, his name would have been Ellington because <laughs> it, you know, if I'd been religious, I would have called them Jesus, you know, because to me, Duke Ellington personifies what it means to be an artist. Um, Does he? Duke Ellington, sometimes he played six nights at Carnegie Hall. Sometimes he played high school dances. Sometimes he was on the top of the charts. Sometimes nobody bought his records. But for 70 years, he never left the road. He never stopped innovating. He never stopped playing with the newest musicians, learning from them, making new music, pushing himself. He never stopped being a gentleman. He never stopped being elegant. He never stopped searching for beauty. And, you know, he and Billy Strayhorn, who he took on as his partner for his life, was the only openly gay man, a gay black man in the 1940s and 50s. Duke Ellington stood by Billy Strayhorn. You know, he just exemplifies everything an artist should be. And, like, the most of all, he exemplifies staying on the fucking road, man. And, like, sometimes you're everything and sometimes nobody cares and they're missing out because the road continues. That's very true. You know, Torque, before I let you, and that was so beautifully put, honestly. Um, Torque, before I let you go, I just want to uh, touch on one more thing. I kind of want to ask you two questions in one, if that's going to be okay with you. <laughs> I can do it. Let yeah. me juggle. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I had a coffee. Okay. Ready to go, yeah. <laughs> let's put let's put good use to this caffeine then. I want to ask you, pretty much in a you know like with this record specifically and how you've been touring it. I want to ask what has been the most surprising thing to you in regards as being someone who's made this record and touring it. Like, what's been a surprising experience and aspect, as well as what has been a surprising response from the fans, from the listeners. Like, what has surprised you and how people have been reacting to this record. Well, that's sort of, I can't, it's a two-in-one question because it's a two-in-one answer. It's, it's, it's the reaction that surprised me. Um, I mean, you know, we played L.A. and New York. It was like, I don't know, three weeks out from the record coming out. And they sang every goddamn word back to us. Like, it was unbelievable. I was at and the second night. They already, they already seemed deeply connected. Were you, when were you there? Sorry? Oh, I was at the, sorry, I was at the second night of the Rough Trade show. I just wanted to add that up there. It was nice. Okay. Yeah, my that first. Was, that my was first a great star. night. Yeah, it was my first star show. It was beautiful. Oh, awesome. I'm glad you came. Yeah, so that's been really heartening, man. Like, that was. That was really nice, you know, because you don't know every time you put it out there, you think, have we, have we lost our friends? But we haven't. There they were. And they were, and the music fit in, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely proud of the band for pushing through and making a record that's, uh, very, very, very true to what we've built as, as a sound. And also, 
better, I think, in many respects, sonically, from a performance aspect, from a production aspect. It's just more confident and it's more virtuosic, you know? And like, if you're going to stick in this game, you know, you ain't going to be young and pretty forever. So you better be fucking good and you better be virtuosic. You know, I saw Emily Haynes, my dear, dear friend the other night on her solo tour, just like nailing the shit to the back of the wall for two hours, you know? Yeah. Pulling off performance art aspects, revealing deep shit about herself, being so beautiful and so theatrical, but also so focused and still in the voice, like devastating, you know? That's 25 years of hard work. That's not, that's not a brand. That's not a fad. That's a fucking musician, you know? And that's, all you can be in the end is like be be really good if you're gonna be so embarrassing as to continue to play in a rock band in your 40s you better be good <laughs> wow that was very nicely put <laughs> that was very uh succinctly put there and i also love that you mentioned seeing i, I saw emily yeah. live uh last week in brooklyn and, and i had the exact same reaction because it's just like she's so yeah. arresting yet so bare at the same time astonishing performance like i was just so proud to be her friend it's just crazy yeah. yeah she blew my mind so it was amazing i'm using her as my uh i'm using her as my goals <laughs> i want to work as hard as emily does those are good goals to aspire towards this is actually pretty serendipitous because i think so yeah this is pretty serendipitous because emily was also like she has an episode we recorded on this show that's also coming out in a few weeks and now i'm talking to you so it's funny how it all comes together <laughs> Yeah, well, we've all been busy this year, Broken and Metric and Emily and Feisty, and we've all sort of, it's all confluence together this year. So it's been nice because I'm incredibly proud of the people I grew up in this business doing this with, you know, they're still doing it. They're still making art. They're still um, uncompromising in their vision. And it's an amazingly great thing to have friends who who continue to push you, you know? Yeah, it's truly it's beautiful. Thing. Absolutely. Torque, thanks for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Hey, it was such a pleasure. Thanks for such a thoughtful chat. I really appreciate it. No, of course. I look forward to having you back in New York. I mean, that show at Rough Trade was beautiful. I know the next one's just going to be amazing. So I can't wait to we see We will it. be back soon. We're hoping to do something in the summertime outside. We'll see what happens, but that's the hope. Ooh, that'd be fantastic. I would definitely be up for that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for All your right, time. Man. Have a great day and thanks for chatting. Yeah, of course. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I jumped out, broke your heart, and the dream came true.